Well, there's a woman who went to a doctor's office and she was seen by one of the new doctors in the office. And he, after about a four-minute examination, she came out of the room screaming and hollering. One of the older doctors stopped her as she was running down the hallway, calmed her down, and after hearing her story, he had her sit in another room and say, just sit here and just relax for a little while. And he stormed off down to this new doctor's office, plopped himself in there, and he said to him, what in the world are you doing telling Mrs. Terry, who's 63 years old, has four children and seven grandchildren, what are you doing telling her she's pregnant? And without even looking up from his clipboard and the notes that he had down, he just said, does she still have the hiccups? Well, we're looking at healing. Some things are easier to get healed from than others, right? We wanted to spend some time. We have another section we want to get into in this. We're not going to get into it today. But before we do, I wanted to spend some time and really review all the things we've looked at so far. The section we still want to get into is in the area of the anointing. When do you need to tap into the special gifts of the anointing instead of just the general gift of healing? Are there certain times that that needs to go on? How is it that you tap into that? Is it different? How do you tap into the anointing that is on you? And so we want to get into some of those things, but before we get into that, we wanted to just review some of the things that we had done, had done in, the, in the past and make sure everybody's up to speed. We're here over the summer. Some weeks it always seemed like we're missing, missing some people. And I know some of you going back and get CDs and catch up on things, but we're going to spend a little time just review here. And then we'll get into Proverbs chapter 4 and some other things. But the three reasons that people do not receive healing that we can find from the Word of God. Is it first off, disobedience? Secondly, unbelief? And third is ignorance. We gave you the abbreviation of that as DUI. Many Christians were going around DUI. Don't be disobedient. Don't be in unbelief. And don't be ignorant. We spent one whole time looking at unbelief and kind of defining that. Getting us to understand it. We saw through the Word of God that every time we saw unbelief show its head, that unbelief re involved the rejection of truth. Very often we think of unbelief as a, as a thermometer or a way of gauging how much faith we have. But in the Word of God, you either accept it or you reject the truth. And many Christians, it doesn't seem, outright reject the truth of God's Word. If they see it as God's Word, if they see it as truth from God, they don't just outright reject it. So of these three reasons, it would seem that unbelief is not really as big of a problem as we might account it to be. Disobedience, we covered some of the things that had begun involved in, in disobedience. And you can certainly do some in that area. But even going through the Word of God, there weren't, wasn't a whole lot. There were some. There wasn't a whole lot. It would seem the most common of these three reasons, disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance, that the greatest reason that people are sick in this life, not healed, carrying around sickness and disease in their body, is because of ignorance. Now, many, this ignorance takes all kinds of forms. Some people are just ignorant of the will of God. How many Christians do you know who feel that sometimes God desires that we be sick? We, we've run into them. How many of you were one of those people? I was. I was raised in a way I believed that sometimes God wanted you sick. And it's a great way to explain why some people don't get healed. Isn't it? But if we really look at the Word of God and we look at the, the life of Jesus, the first off, the life of Jesus, He was coming to perform the will of the Father. He was here to do what the Father willed to do. And did we see Jesus make anyone sick? Did we find a time that Jesus ever came up to someone and said, you know what? God wants you sick. I can't heal you. God wants you sick. Did we ever find one time? And yet we saw huge meetings where He came in and they brought multitudes to Him. And the Word of God says how many times over and over we see this show up. He healed them all. It would seem that if there are so many reasons for us to be disqualified from healing because God wanted us sick or God had some purpose behind it, that Jesus ought to have run into one of them. But constantly, He, he got people healed. We saw sometimes that because of their unbelief, their rejection of truth, He wasn't able to do some of the things that He wanted to do. But it wasn't His desire for that to happen. And Jesus, we saw, we looked at His ministry. 
And we saw that Jesus came not only on the, on the cross to, for the purpose of forgiving sins, but also for the healing of our body. And Isaiah talked about that. We went into the communion, the communion elements, and looked at those. And we saw that before supper, He did what? Broke the bread. After supper, He did what? Gave them all the wine. That there was a supper in between the bread and the wine. There was time between that. They weren't just all jumbled together to be the same thing. And we know that forgiveness of sin is, is obtained through the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? We've been taught that all of our lives. I don't care what denomination you grew up in. Baptist, Methodist, Wesleyan, Presbyterian, whatever one you were brought up in, you know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So why does the emphasis put on the body? Because Isaiah tells us that in his body he was beaten so that we could be healed. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what Isaiah was saying. Then Jesus separated in two parts because he knew we'd forget about it. And Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians, and he said this is the reason that many are sick and many go home early. Because they don't discern the Lord's body correctly. They don't understand what His body was here to do. His body was here to get you healed. But you see, that if, if Satan can undermine the truth of God's Word in your mind, he can undermine what God wants you to get. How many of you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God can heal you? Absolutely. And if, if the devil were to come and attack you on the... the Ability of God to heal you or cure you of any disease that you have, you certainly would refuse that as untruth. You would reject that. You would apply unbelief to that little bit coming into you, right? So if you were the devil, would you attack you in that area? I wouldn't attack you in the area of can God heal you? Because you're pretty set on that. So he's got to find another area, and certainly he does. And we've looked at some of the areas that the devil would come and attack you on. Does God have a purpose for you being sick? And some people have bought into that. And see, if he can get you to think that there's a purpose for you being sick, then your defenses are down and you'll accept it. But those same people will go to the doctor. Those same people will take medications. If God really wants you sick, I mean, get the whole benefit. Don't take the medication. Don't go to the doctor. Get it all. If you truly believe that that's the truth, that God wants you sick for a purpose, then get everything He's got for you. But you don't really believe that. And people take medications, and doctor, we talked about them too. We'll get into, into that as we progress through here. But we saw that He was the rewarder. This is one of the truths we have to understand. God is the rewarder. And when you see that He's the rewarder, He doesn't just reward you a little bit. He greatly rewards you. Hebrews 11.6 talked about that. That He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But he who comes to God, the Word of God said in Hebrews 11.6, He who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you do not believe that Jesus is a healer, then you cannot come to Him to receive healing. If you don't believe that Jesus is a forgiver of sins, then you cannot come to Him to forgive you of your sins. Whatever you need to come to God for, you must first believe that He is that. And if you don't believe that He is that, then you are going to have a hard time tapping into Him being the rewarder and giving you freely on that area. So He is a rewarder. We then went on and talked about what do I receive? Because one of the areas that Satan would certainly want to get in on, if he can't attack the idea that God will heal you or God can heal you, then he's going to get in on, the, on your mind frame and say, what did you get? How many of you have been out to the front? You heard a message on healing and the person called for folks to come on down to the front, get hands laid on them and you got hands laid on you and people to the right of you and people to the left of you got slain, fell right down and you stood there. Nothing really, you didn't feel anything great happen to you. And so you go back to your seat and what's the thought that comes in? Did you get anything? Do you feel any different? Isn't that what comes into your head? Surely it is. And so we examine that truth, that idea, that when I come and hands are laid on me, the name of Jesus is declared over me. Should I feel something in my body? What do I receive? And we saw from Mark chapter 5 that when the women, the lady, the woman with the issue of blood, when she touched Jesus, it said something entered her. What was it? 
power to heal entered her body. And that Jesus felt power to heal leave his body. That when hands are laid on you, power to heal comes into your body. Now we went through the Word of God later on and we looked at how many people felt the power of God come into their body. Of all the people that Jesus prayed for, how many of them felt it? One. At least one that says it. How many times did Jesus say He felt power go out of His body? One. There may have been other times. I'm not trying to tell you that there weren't any other times. But from the Word of God, we're only told one time Jesus felt it leave and one time people felt it come in. And that's all in that same story, Mark chapter 5. All the other times, we're not told of anything going on. But yet, very often, we'll get down to the front and did you get anything? I I didn't really feel anything. I I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 I didn't feel anything. Looked like the person next to me looked like they got something. But I didn't really, I didn't really feel anything. And we've based it on feeling. Isn't it amazing how we've gotten out of basing things on feeling in other areas of our life, but in this one we still base it on feeling. But in Mark chapter 11, the exhortation is, believe that you receive, believe that you receive and you shall have it. Well, what in the world do you have to believe that you receive something if you feel it already done? There's no no belief there. You already feel it. But believe that you receive and then you shall have it. So, we've got to get out of this feeling aspect of thing. So, what do I receive? I receive power to heal when that comes upon me. What do I do with that power? We looked at some of the things you had to do. You had to maintain that power. We saw meetings that went on, especially with the, the lame man who was lowered down into the building, lowered down into the room. The Word of God says the power of God was present to heal them. And that man who was lame was not even in the meeting yet. And the Word of God says the power of God was present to heal them. And then they peeled off the ceiling, lowered this guy down inside. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. They all got mad at that. And he said, which is easier? You know the story. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or say rise up, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And the man rose up, took up his bed and walked home. I think I would have stayed in the meeting. (laughs) I don't know if I... I think I would have stayed in the meeting. But it said he took up his bed and went home. But the power of God was present to heal them. And we saw from the story that only Him was healed. The power of God can be present to your left, to your right, all around you, and you never enjoy a bit of it. Just because you didn't feel it doesn't mean it wasn't there. And just because you didn't get something done doesn't mean God didn't want to. Because we've had this notion many times as believers, we have thought, had this thinking in our heads. That the only way I can get healed is if God pulls my name out of the hat. I go to the meeting. I'll just set to see if it's my day. Maybe it's my day to get healed. I don't know. I'll go on up front and get hands laid on me. And you come on back. Well, did you get it? I don't think so. Well, I guess it wasn't your day then. Maybe tomorrow. And we're looking for our name to get pulled out of the hat. For God to heal us. Oh, that's ridiculous. And we looked at the, the concept. If the same act of, G, of Jesus Christ going to the cross, two parts of it, one is bloodshed, the other part is body beaten. When you receive forgiveness of sins for salvation, is there ever any wondering whether you get it? Do you ever have people come up to the front, call for salvation is made, and they come on up to the front and they make the prayer of salvation, turn their life over to God, ask forgiveness? Do you ever say to them, do you feel saved? We don't say that to them, do we? Do you base your salvation at that point based on feeling? You What did you base it on? That the Word of God said, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And you got healed on the basis. Oh, you're forgiven. Saved. On the basis of that. Well, the same thing governs healing. You can be just as sure that you can get saved as that you can get healed. It is that certain. If you will do what the Word of God says, you will be healed. 
I know people are back there thinking even right now. Yeah, but you don't know what happened to me. It don't matter what happened to you because your circumstances does not make the Word of God true or false. The Word of God is true no matter what happened to you. The Word of God is true. Don't you use your life to gauge it. As soon as you do that, you have fallen into deception and you are a prime target for false teaching and false believing and unbelief, the rejection of truth. Don't get into that. You can be just as sure that you will receive healing as that you can administer healing. Did you know that? Just as sure for both ways. How do you know that? Well, just go over in the, in the Bible. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking by the temple, by the, by the gate, by the beautiful gate. And they come upon a man. And they said, look on us. And he looked on them expecting to receive alms, money. And he said, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and, and walk. And he grabbed them by the hand and lifted him up. Would you say that Peter was somewhat sure that healing would be applied? How did he walk in that certainty? Paul had a very long sermon one time. Very long service. And one of the participants in the service was sitting on the windowsill. Fell out three stories high. Died. Is dead there at the bottom. More of that story. Why do I got to put that story in the Bible for us? Because he doesn't want us to have churches on third floors. Right. <laughs> no, that's not why he put that story in there, is it? <laughs> God doesn't care if we have church on the third floor, fourth floor, fifth floor, doesn't matter. But Paul comes on down and he prays over the man and the man's still laying there. And Paul says, well, I did the best I could. Let's go up and finish the meeting and see what happens. What did he say? He said his life is in him. Let's go back up and have church again. But they left the man and he's still down. But Paul's certain that he's going to get up now. When Jesus ministered to the lame man who was lowered down through the, through the ceiling, did he have any uncertainty that healing would be applied? Did he wonder at all? He didn't, did he? In fact, he even said something a little bit antagonistic. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody got mad. He said, just so you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. Was there any uncertainty in Jesus that this man would walk? Was there any uncertainty with Jesus that the ten lepers, when they showed up at the priest, would be seen as clean? And story after story after story after story. You can be just as certain in administering healing power as you can as re to receiving it. You can be just as certain. Just as certain as you are sure that you are saved and forgiven. Just as certain. Glory to God for that. Well, we looked at Isaiah 10.27 and we saw that concept of breaking the yoke. That the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. And Jesus made the statement, He said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we weren't quite sure what all that meant, but we found out that back in their day that if you came under a rabbi's teaching, it was considered to come under their yoke. You came under their yoke. And Jesus was saying, My burden, my yoke, my teaching is easy compared to that other stuff you're under. And there had to be a breaking of that that sometimes we need to get broken from some of the things we've learned. How many had to get broken from some of the stuff you learned? Because you didn't think God would do this. You didn't think God cared about this. You didn't think God would work this way. Isn't that right? God operates by laws and principles. And there is never any uncertainty to that law. The only uncertainty is how well we understand the law. Do you ever wake up in the morning and say, I hope gravity holds me down. Who started that law? God did. Do you ever wake up in the morning and say, Boy, I hope the sun comes up? Who started that law? God did. Did you ever wake up in the morning and say, I hope all of our atmosphere, all the air doesn't go away? Who created the law? 
that gives us atmosphere? God. And you don't wonder about those and they're just as sure and just as certain. And there's laws in operation that we don't even know yet. We've discovered some, but we don't even know it. When the Wright brothers first went up, how many people said, I don't think it'll work. I don't, I don't think it'll happen. I don't think you're going to get up off the ground. How many thought that? A whole lot of them. Why? Because they didn't understand the law. They understood the law. And they were a little shaky at tapping into it. But we're not quite so shaky anymore, are we? I mean, maybe some of you do, but I don't. If you get on an airplane, do you sit there and say, oh, I hope this gets off the ground. Oh, I hope this gets off the ground. And then you get up in the air and say, I hope we don't crash. I hope we don't crash. (laughs) I mean, you understand the laws of lift and thrust. You understand they're all going. They're all working. I get in an airplane. I never give it a second thought. I just know we're going up. We're coming down. We're coming down good. I don't give it a second thought. But I do know that if the jets on that engine stop, the law of lift and thrust ceases from its operation. And the law of gravity picks up and brings it down. Now, the law of gravity is involved in you flying. If it wasn't for the law of gravity, you wouldn't fly. It isn't just lift and thrust. But law of gravity doesn't have lift and thrust working with it, so that airplane is not going to stay airborne. It's going to come down. And we all know that. These are certain laws. Well, all the laws that God puts in operation are certain. And throughout this series, we've been looking at the laws of healing. Laws of healing. I've given you, I think, somewhere between 10 and 12 so far. A lot of them we've actually pinpointed for you and told you about. Some of them are just buried in your outline. Just waiting for you to pick them out and put them into your principal book. You all still have that, right? Still writing things in there every week. Glory to God. For those who don't know what that is, a principal book is just simply a journal in which you write in principles that you learn from the Word of God. Write them down in there so that you can keep going back and reviewing them. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that principle. Look at that law that's in operation so that you can stay in remembrance of it. Because the only knowledge that helps you is the stuff you remember. you got to remember it. So, breaking the yoke. We used the example when we were in this that some of you, you gentlemen have a wallet. Some of you ladies have a purse. And that's your purse and that's your wallet. And if I were to come over and take your wallet and put it somewhere, none of us would give it a second thought. But you would. And you'd be concerned to get that wallet back. So even though the wallet is out of your possession, even though the purse is out of your possession, there's still an attachment to it in there. They're still attached to it. And you want to get that thing back. That sometimes sickness and disease, false teaching, false knowledge has gained an attachment to us. And we need the anointing to come along and break that yoke. We've got to get rid of that thing. Some things are just not good to hang around hang around with and hold on to. We looked at, am I moved by facts or feelings? What moves you? Is it the feeling? Well, I don't feel like I'm healed. What's the facts say? Facts say I've received power. Facts say that I'm maintaining that power. Therefore, I'm going to be healed. I'm walking in health. I'm walking in healing. We looked at keeping the switch of faith turned on. What you need to do to keep that in operation. That every time you wake up in the morning, glory to God, the power of God is in me for healing. And it's working mightily in me. Every time you feel an ache and pain, every time you feel sick, every time you feel contrary to what it is that you're believing, you keep that switch of faith turned on. And you go out and say, glory to God. The power of God is at work in me. You don't have to deny that the pain exists. You don't have to deny that you have a cold or a flu. That's kind of silly. I mean, how good is it to walk into a group of people and you're sneezing and and stuffed up and red nose? Oh man, it looks like you're sick. Nope, I'm well. (laughs) But sometimes we've gotten wrong faith teaching that has helped put us into that area. You don't need to do that. Now, you don't need to go around talking about your sickness and disease all the time either. But glory to God, the power of God is in me, working to healing. Sickness and disease has no part in my body and it's gone. In Jesus' name, I'm healed. You can certainly answer that way. Still acknowledge that thing is there. You don't have to deny that that joint hurts or that that thing in your body aches here and there. I don't have to say, oh, that's not hurting me at all. You don't have to do that. But every time it comes up and tries to remind me and tries to pull me in the realm of doubt and unbelief, the rejection of truth, 
I can simply say, nope, nope. The power of God is in me and it's working mightily in me. Hasn't stopped. It's in me, working mightily in me. We looked at Proverbs 16.23 that the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. The heart of the wise. You need to let your heart, your spirit, teach your mouth what to speak. Don't just say things. I mean, some people just open their mouth up too soon. Let your spirit teach your mouth what to say. Let it come up from the Word of God. Don't just feel like you always have to give an answer. If somebody tells you something and you don't know how to answer that thing and and be in faith, then just hush. I'm not sure what to say on that yet. And go away and let your mouth be taught by your spirit, by your heart. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 24, we saw Jesus gave the exhortation, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. Be careful about the things that you hear. And we're not just talking about, well, you know, I don't want to be in the room when that thing is, is said. Because you can hear something and reject it. Would you use the example, how many husbands, your wife says something to you and you're standing right next to her and didn't hear her. Wives, standing right next to your husband. He says something to you and you didn't hear it. Why? Because your mind was elsewhere. You're focused on something else. Or sometimes we hear, but we didn't hear what they said. How many times have people come up to you and given you what sounds to other people like a compliment, but you heard a cut? You come out of there and I'm standing there and I hear, boy, that was nice of them to say it. No, it wasn't. You heard something different. Just because you hear it with your ears doesn't mean it has to sink in the same way. So he says, take heed what you hear. Don't just let false doctrine, false teaching, false things come in and grab hold of you. You take heed of what you hear. We then looked at what I, what I have, what I aim for, and what I endure. And this was a part that a lot of Christians have a hard time with. There are certain things that you have. All of you have a job. You have a car. You have a place to live. You have clothes. There are certain things that you have in your possession right now. How many of you are aiming for other things? I have a car, but I'm looking towards a different car. A better car. Something different about that car that you want. I have a home, but I'm looking for a different home. I have a spouse, but I'm looking for a... <laughs> no, just making sure you're all still here. <laughs> no. No, we've got to be careful of that one. But you have certain things, but you're aiming for others. This is, what you're, this is what you're going for. This is what I'm aiming for. So I can have certain... How many of you have certain amount of knowledge, certain amount of things in your spiritual realm, but you're aiming for more? That's a good aim to have. But I know what I do have, and I know what's out there that I'm still going after. Now, beside that, there are things that I endure. And this is the part that throws some Christians... You must understand, when Jesus and the disciples were on the water and the storm came up, did they create the storm? When they left, did they have the storm? Were they aiming to go into a storm? No, it wasn't what they had, it wasn't what they aimed for, but that storm still came upon them. There are some times that storms will come upon you and it has nothing to do with your confession. You didn't confess that into your existence. Because I sometimes hear people say, you know, they're going through life and all of a sudden, out of the blue, the knee hurts. And you see them limping around. You alright? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, it looks like your knee or ankle or something's kind of sore. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It don't look fine. No, no, really. It's, it's alright. By faith, it's fine. And they're afraid to say it. Afraid to say that, you know what? My knee hurts. Because if I do, I'll create the problem. You can't create what you already are in the midst of. The disciples are in there. They're in the boat. The storm's all around them. They do not say, you know what? I think this is a storm. Peter, stop that. You will create the storm. Peter looks out and says, no, it's definitely here already. You don't be afraid of the things that you say in that way. Now, you still be careful of it. Be careful. Let your heart teach your mouth what to speak. Be slow to speak as James talks about. You be careful about the things that you say. But don't feel like that if I acknowledge this thing that I bring it into existence. It's already there. If 
you're going to go up and get a healing for something, you've got to ask for it, right? When Jesus has blind Bartimaeus come out, He doesn't say, you know, you want to be healed of blindness? Hey, what's He say to him? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And blind Bartimaeus says, well, I don't know. What do you think I might need? I don't know. I mean, you, you called me out. What did you want me to do for you? Well, I guess, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not blind. Right? What does he come out there and say? I want to see. I want to see. When he comes up to the lame man, laying there by the pool of Bethesda, what's he want to do? You know, I'd really like to get out to McDonald's. <laughs> no, what's he say? I want to. They declare. They they realize I have a problem. It is not lack of faith to realize that you have a problem. If you're going to come to God, you must realize first off, I have a need. I have a need. Acknowledge the need. Go to God and say, Father God, this isn't quite working right. I need to get this fixed. And the power of God, and you do what you need to do to get the power of God in your life, and the power from that point on, you keep on going. Glory to God. I see. Glory to God. The Word of God is working in me. Power is in me to enable me to hear, to enable me to walk, to enable me not, not to limp. Whatever it is that you need, you go out there and you declare that. How many of y'all enjoy testimonies? You know, you cannot have a testimony unless you first acknowledge there's a problem. And if you're always denying the problem, then you really can never have a testimony. I mean, if you get up and you hear a brother or sister and they're always talking about, Glory to God, I'm healed. 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 And then they get up in church one day and says, I'm healed. Well, we heard that for weeks and weeks and weeks. No, that's a couple of time. Isn't it a good testimony to hear when, when someone says, Oh, my back's been hurting. For weeks, my back's been hurting. So-and-so laid their hands on me, prayed over me. I went home, kept feeding on that, kept the switch of faith turned on. And on Wednesday this week, I woke up, there was no pain at all. Glory to God. Hadn't been any pain since. Is that a good testimony? Doesn't that encourage you? In that story, we looked at Peter walking on the water. Peter's out there. He's in the boat first off. The storm's up there. He's in the he's in the boat and he says, Master, if that's you, let me come to you. And so Jesus says one word. Come. And by him uttering that word, the power of God to walk on water is present. And Peter jumps out of the boat. And he starts walking on the water. The waves are still there. He's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he gets his eyes off the words that Jesus said, Come. And he gets his eyes on the waves and he begins to sink. And I told you my picture of this story that I didn't see him going all the way down into the water. I saw him sinking down some and Jesus coming over and grabbing him because he said, Master, he calls out to Jesus. You can't do that underneath the water. So he's still above the water, but he's starting to sink into the water. Was the power of God still present to walk on water? Jesus is still walking on water, but he's not. See, the power of God can be present to heal. The power of God can be present to walk on water and you not take advantage of it. Just because you're not taking advantage of it does not mean it's not there. It was there for Peter. It was present for Peter. But he looked at something else. Now, did Jesus say, you messed that up. Now, Peter, get it right this time. Come. He doesn't do that, does he? There's no second command for him to come. But when they go back to the boat, what's Peter doing? He's walking on water. You may have neglected the power of God that was put in your body when hands were laid on you, when the name of Jesus was spoken over you, however it was that healing came to you, healing power came to you. You may have neglected it, but it's still there. Still there. How many enjoy the summer? I love the summer. It could be summer all year long. Glory to God, I know. When we have a new heaven and new earth, it's going to be summer all time, all, all day. I want summer all the time. I can endure the cold. It's not that the cold bothers me, but everything is lifeless. There's no leaves on the trees. There's no flowers blooming. There's no grass to mow. 
I like life. I like things being around and, and all that. And plus, once it snows, it's great for what? A couple hours? And then it starts to look ugly. I want summer all the time. But it's not summer right now. How many of you have heaters that are gas operated? Not electric operated, but gas operated. If you go down into your basement and look at your gas operated heater, I do not have a gas operated heater in my home. It's an electric one. And the other one we have is a, a wood burning stove. And we feed that with wood. So right now it's sitting empty. We are not planning on turning it on anytime soon. But in my workshop, I do have a gas heater to heat up that area. And the gas heater has a source of, of gas. Now, mine's a propane tank. It sits out in the back. Some of you folks are tapped into natural gas or, or what's the other kind of gas you can do? It's natural gas. Is there's a, I think there's another one beside that. But anyway, you have a pipeline of this stuff that comes in and it feeds it. Is that gas still available to your heater in the summertime? Sure is. Go on down. Take a look at your, your uh, gas heater. Flip open the little service door and look inside. If you look inside, you know what you're going to see? Blue flame. Blue flame. That blue flame is burning. Do you know that all summer long, your heater has the potential to heat up your home? All summer long, your heater can heat your home. How many of you do not take advantage of that? Absolutely. It's hot enough, right? We don't need any more heat. We got plenty of it. But that does not cause that heater to cease being functional. Even, even though it is dormant in your home, it has not ceased from being functional. It's still there. In the same way, the power of God is in you for healing. It has not ceased being functional, though you have failed to call on it. It's still there. Power of God was still present for Peter to walk on water. We looked at this story for that. Can you think of any other reason why this story is in the Word of God? Anybody gotten inspired to go out there and walk on water? From reading this? Didn't think so. It's in here to show us about the power of God. We then went on, we looked at doctors and medications. The doctors and medications are not necessarily bad. We look to be compared to the way doctors and medications heal people and the way that Jesus heals people. That there's a lack, a surplus something going on in your body and medications are there to fix the lack or take away the surplus. Doctors operate under the level of knowledge that they have. But Jesus' knowledge is far greater. Now, there are some things we operate in knowledge that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we, would, we didn't understand. We operate in levels of knowledge that we look at today and we scoff at. Ah, can't believe we used to do that. 10, 15, 20 years from now, if the Lord still hasn't come back, we'll probably look back and say, oh, look at what we used to do for that. Because our knowledge will be continue to be increasing. But God's knowledge doesn't have to increase. He understands His body, understands how it works. But doctors will come on up and say, you need to eat this. You need to get this in your diet. Well, didn't God make your body to function a certain way? If you're missing those nutrients, if you're not getting them, Get them in your body. Doctors can help you out with that. But your spirit can do the same thing. Just listen to your spirit. Your spirit may say, don't drink this anymore. Don't eat this anymore. Find this. Eat this. Do this. It'll tell you these things. Your spirit can do it. Doctors can do it. You can take medication and still believe God for your healing. Don't be out there thinking, oh, I can't be taking any medication. You can take medication. Just don't depend on the medication for your healing. Always keep your eye on Jesus as your healer. That's all. Every time you take that medication, you can say, Father God, I thank you for the power of God working in my body to bring about a cure, total healing for me. Never look to the medication because medication has it's got some problems. You take some medication, medication has side effects, doesn't it? You know why? Because we don't understand everything. But God understands it all. He knows how to tell you to do things, take things, do something, and it has a complete, total effect on you. Good effect. Last week, we looked at the nature of healing. We looked at following after the right nature, not following after the wrong nature. If you follow after the devil and his nature, you're going to get his benefits. If you follow after God and his nature, you're going to get God's benefits. Which benefit package do you want? 
I'd rather have God's. So you've got to follow after the things of His nature. And that was last week. So does that bring you up to date? Get you all going on, this, on the same spot here? Even if you already heard this stuff, hear it again. Review it. I sometimes hear some messages 10, 15, 20 times. I go back and I just pull out some stuff. I just pulled out some things this, this week. Brother Hagin had taught us. Just said, you know what? I'm going to go through that again. And just went through it again. You want this to be working in you. And it's not because a particular teacher has all the knowledge and you just got to get all that knowledge. Just go over it and over it. And as you do, the Spirit of God is going to enlighten you to things on the inside that maybe that speaker did or did not say. But God will bring you, bring you to that light. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, He says, What things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So the first thing we need to understand is what things you desire, that there must be a desire. New King James Bible says ask. King James says desire. The word there is iteo. It means to ask, beg, call for, crave, desire, or require. If you are going to pray for something, if you're going to ask God for something, you sure need to to, um, desire it. How many people do you know that are sick, talk about their sickness all the time, and talk about wanting to get well, But really, they don't want to. They like the attention that sickness or disease brings to them. And even if they started to get healed, started to feel healing in their body, they start to panic. Where is that? How come I don't have that disease? Whatsoever things you desire. First off, you must desire, ask for, whatever it is you're going to pray for. I've got to have a desire for that. I've got to ask for the thing. I've got to say, Father God, this is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. So you've got to know what the thing is. How many of you last Christmas asked for an MP3 player? Two years ago, you didn't even know what one was. You can't ask for what you don't know. You've got to know what, the, know what that is. Maybe a few years ago, somebody asked for a computer. Well, ten years ago, you may not have known what a computer was. Or it may have scared you. You may have thought, well, I can't do anything with that. You've got to first off know that you can ask for it. That's why you get into the Word of God. That's why you study the Word of God. So that you can find out those things to ask for. So that you can build up in yourself a desire for the thing. Some people that say they desire a thing, but their actions and speech may give cause to question. Do you really want to get rid of that? Look at the way you're acting. Look at the way you talk about that thing. So desiring is necessary. But it's not the, not the only part. You have to desire a thing. If you are going to desire the thing, you have to be... In, the, in that desire is stated intention to do what you need to do. Let's just pick on a couple of things. How many of you have ever desired to get physically fit? Now, you sat out there and you say, I ought to get in better shape. I ought to get in better shape. But if you're going to say that, there's something you got to do. It doesn't just happen. It don't. I, I desire to get in shape and you wake up tomorrow. Wow! I'm in shape. This is great. No, it doesn't get to you that way, right? You have to desire the thing. If you desire it, then you've got to put the time in. How many of you ever desired to play the piano? My mom desired that for me. I did not share in that desire. But my mom desired that I would play the piano. But it wasn't my mom who had to dedicate themselves to sit at the piano then so, you know, we did the piano lessons and I sat at the piano and I got, you know, we were doing the one hand and I despised every moment of sitting down there and playing the piano and got to the spot where they're going to have me do two hands. And I just, I didn't, didn't like it. This is taking football time away. This is taking hockey time away. This is taking way investigative time away. Going out into the woods and... I had a desire for those. I didn't have a desire for the piano. If you just say, I desire to learn the piano, then you have an uh, intention to put the time in. If you desire to learn how to sing, then you have to put the intention to put that time in. To do the things that are necessary for that. If you have a desire to go on a diet, then you have to apply yourself to stay with that diet. Whether it's a more healthful diet, whether it's a lower calorie diet, whatever kind of diet it's going to be, you have a desire. If you state that desire, then you have to also intend 
to put that, that out there. So when I say, I desire healing for my body, I must also have an intended desire. My intention must also be to do the things that are necessary to get a healed body. And when God says, do this, eat this, stay away from that, believe this, disbelieve that, hear this, don't hear that, then I need to submit to it and I need to listen to it. If that is truly what I desire. But if you want a thing, you'll get it. How many of you have ever wanted more money? And you know what to do for that, don't you? Get a second job? Work harder? Get paid more per hour? Whatever. You know what to do. You just got to find a place that you can get that done. So how should these desires come to me? There's a couple of ways people get desires to come to them. Some of them is through a lack. I desire more money because I lack it. I desire more money because I'm looking at my neighbor and they got a lot more money than I do. Look at the cars they drive. Look at the house they live in. Look at the stuff they have in the backyard, in the front yard. Look at how they're dressed. So, through lack or through coveting, I can build desires. But they're not real good ways to build desires, are they? The best way to build desires is through God's promises. Study the Word of God. Find out what God has promised you and build up desires for that. I desire this because God's Word promised it to me. How many of you desire wisdom? God's Word promises you wisdom. Tells you what to do to get it. Go after it. Let those desires be built up from the Word of God because the Word of God will also tell you what it is you have to do to get it. What you need to do to go after that. So through lack, coveting, or through God's promises. Pick the latter. God's promises. So he says, what things you desire when you pray? Well, unless you pray, folks, it isn't going to happen, is it? Unless you pray, things don't happen. Unless you pray, stuff doesn't come to you. And unless you pray, situations don't change. you got to pray. Just because you want the thing to change doesn't mean it's going to. You got Here's the first thing you got to do. Pray. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, so you got to be praying, don't just sit there and say, well, God knows what I need. Matthew 6, 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. But He's not saying don't ask Him. He's saying He, has, he knows what you need. But you're still supposed to go out there and ask them. Follow the rules of prayer, not the rules of what you desire. Follow the rules of prayer. What are the rules of prayer? Ask God. Ask in faith. Now notice this. God didn't say whine. He said pray. Don't sit up there and whine. And, oh God, I need this. Oh, I need more money. Oh, I need a different house. Oh, I need better neighbors. He didn't say sit there and whine. He said pray. Praying does not involve whining. How many of y'all like it when your kids whine to you? Isn't that special? Spouse comes home. You know, the kids didn't whine to me once today. Doggone. No, that don't happen too often, does it? But God didn't say come whining to Him. He said pray. Pray doesn't involve whining. doesn't involve complaining. It involves knowing what the will of God is, knowing what the Word of God promised, and knowing what the Word of God said to do to get it. That's prayer. Jesus didn't sit there and pray a whole lot. He prayed pretty short prayers. Come. Come forth. Come out. Go. So what things you desire when you pray? Believe that you receive them. The believing occurs before the receiving. We already told you that one. The believing occurs before the receiving. But many Christians never enter the sphere of believing. They stay in the realm of hoping and wishing. Don't get in there and hope and wish. Oh, I hope I get healed. Oh, I hope these headaches stop. Oh, I hope this pain goes away. Get into the sphere of believing. If you don't get into the sphere of believing, your praying isn't going to do any good. Whatsoever thing you ask when you pray, believe. Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe. It says it right there, Mark eleven twenty four. Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe. Did Jesus show us this? Whatever things he asked, did he pray and believe? Did Peter show us this? Did John show us this? Paul show us this? Sure they did. Go on with the rest of the list. Elijah, Abraham, 
Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. When I'm walking in the sphere of believing, it will have an effect upon three things. First off, my actions. Secondly, my talking. And third, my thinking. My actions, my talking, and my thinking. Remember in this country? Telecommunications was all done by who? AT&T. Everything you, every time you see AT&T put a commercial on the air, I want you to be thinking about actions, talking, and thinking. Actions, talking, and thinking. AT&T. If I am truly in the sphere of believing, the actions I take are different. When you were young and you believed your mom and dad was going to get you a bicycle, did not your actions reflect that belief? Did not your acts, did not your belief affect the things you said? Did you talk about that bicycle as if you already had it to your friends? Did it not affect your thinking realm? How many times did you think and imagine yourself riding down the hill in that bicycle? Didn't it affect all those realms? It affects your actions, your talking, and your thinking. I told you this before, but whatever I give myself wholly to, I will talk about. Whatever I give myself wholly to, I will talk about. How many of you have a favorite sports team? I mean, you love watching those games. Don't you talk about it? Don't you, after the game is over and you saw the game, don't you want to find somebody so that you can talk about all the plays? Oh, did you see how they did this? Oh, what about... Oh, yeah, that was so good. You talk about it, don't you? Whatever you give yourself wholly to, you talk about. Don't tell me you're giving yourself wholly to divine healing in your body if you don't say a word about it to anyone. Don't tell me that. If you give yourself wholly to something, you'll talk about it. Maybe you don't talk about it to everybody. How many of you football fans don't talk about football to everybody? Some people in the family just really don't care about football. And you know, I'm not talking football to this one. I'm not saying you have to talk about it to everybody. But you ought to be talking about it. It ought to take up your actions, your talking, and your thinking. Thought always precedes action. I gave you the example before on this. Thought always precedes action. When you got married to your spouse, was there not first a thought? Did you not think about asking that person out? Did you not think about that person asking you out? Did you not think about where you would take them? After the date, did you not think about the next date? Thought always precedes actions. If I'm going to walk in the realm of belief, I need to gain the knowledge necessary. You must gain the knowledge necessary to walk in that area of belief. If you want to become an electrician and you want to walk in the things that are necessary for that so that you don't get yourself killed, you've got to walk on gain some certain knowledge. If you want to do some things in the financial area, you've got to gain some knowledge so you don't lose all your money. You've got to get that knowledge. If you're going to walk in the realm of belief, I need to gain the knowledge necessary. If you want to have healing in your body, you need to gain the knowledge necessary to get that thing going. Knowledge from the Word, not knowledge from Aunt Susie. Uncle Ted, don't need that. Well, I tried that healing stuff one time and it didn't work for me. What's the Word of God say? I don't care what Uncle Ted said. Aunt Betsy. Don't matter. Attend to my words in Proverbs 4.20 and verse 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. If he is telling us to incline our ear... Or to give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. If he is teaching us this, is it then not possible that I can attend to other words? That I can incline to other sayings? If he's saying, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, then can I not also attend to other words? And if he's telling me to attend to his words, then aren't His words the ones that are going to bring me that benefit? So you've got to stop giving ear to Uncle Ted. You've got to give ear to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say on the subject? You've got to stop giving attention to the words that your past experience brings up. 
It don't matter that it failed for you before. Thomas Edison could have attended to his past failed experiences and not made a light bulb. Would have made some global warming people real happy. But not the rest of you. How many of y'all like your light bulbs? I like those light bulbs. I'm glad that somebody worked at it and figured out how to make the car work. That's a whole lot better than riding horses around. You need to have a bigger yard if you had horses. You got to keep them. Horses are cool. But they do involve some cleanup. Tend to my words. He said, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your mouth. Keep them in the midst. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. You got to keep them in front of you all the time. Don't let them be by Don't hit them once a week. Go over the truths that are in God's Word about healing. Go over it and over it. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Don't sit there and say, well, we got through the healing series last month. I guess I have all I need to know about that. Keep meditating on it. Keep going after it. You need to get this stuff down. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those who find them and health to all their flesh. Glory to God. There's health here. There's things of benefit here. Go after it. Understand this. God's power is activated by desire, prayer, and belief. God's power is activated by desire, prayer, and belief. Whatsoever things you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. God's power is activated by desire, prayer, and belief. Not need, coveting, or guilt. You cannot guilt God into answering your prayer. It may work with your kids. It may work with your parents. does not work with God. How many people you have around you try and guilt you into things? How many are sometimes successful at it? And get you to do something. You don't want to do it, but you do it because you feel guilty. God does not do that. God does not feel guilty. You do not guilt God into anything. God does things based on faith. God does things based on belief. If you don't believe what I just told you, go over to the woman, the story with the woman from Tyre. I mean, if anyone's going to guilt Jesus into doing something, she had a pretty good shot at it. And what's Jesus do? He's not even going to answer her. He's just going on. Finally, he just says, look, the Bread isn't meant for the dogs. Doesn't feel like doesn't sound like he felt too guilty. And she comes back and says, Yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. He stops and says, Woman, great is your faith. See, it's the faith that got his attention. You won't guilt God into doing something. You can't guilt God into it. But you can get him through desire, prayer, and belief. Not need. He's not moved by your need. He's not moved by because you covet what someone else has. And he's not moved by you guilting him into something. He's moved by desire, prayer, and belief. Don't sit up there and say, look at my great need compared to so-and-so. My need is greater. How come they got their answer and I don't have mine? You ever seen that? My need is greater. I mean, so-and-so got healed of headaches. This is life or death. God's not moved by need. Many people have died. Word of God's told us many people have died. He's not moved by need. Need. Don't put him in your sphere. You get in his. He's in the sphere of belief. We're moved by these things. We're moved by need. If I see this person over here with a greater need, aren't I moved by that? But God's not moved by it. People around me, they can move me by guilt. I can feel guilty. God's not moved by that. Don't put him in your sphere. You get into his. God is moved by faith. You desire the thing. You pray and you believe. That's how you activate what God has. You want to get healed? Do what the Word of God says. Get hands laid on you. Understand I've received power for healing when hands were laid on me. I don't care if I felt it. It's in me. And you keep feeding it. All the time you keep feeding it. Keep feeding it. Don't let it go. Thank God for it. Glory to God. Would you all stand up? Now, if you're here today and you say, I'm ready. I've been hearing this for a little while. 
I haven't had hands laid on me, but I'm ready now. I want to receive what God has for me. If it's healing, come on up for healing. If it's salvation, come on up for salvation. It'll do the same thing. The same laws that operate on one, operate on the other. If you say, I'm ready for hands to be laid on me, to receive power for healing. And I'll keep that thing maintained. I'm ready to receive power for salvation. And I'll keep that thing maintained. Whatever it is that you need, God's ready to do it. But you've got to have that desire built up from the Word of God. Not through need, not through coveting. Through the Word of God. Glory to God for that. How many are here today and say, I'm ready for hands to be laid on me. I want prayer for something right now.